Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Student Pod. My name is Marissa. I'm a History of Art and Architecture major with an emphasis in Museum Studies, and I'm an English minor. And this is my lovely co-host, Katie. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Katie. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. I'm a third-year psych and brain science major with an applied psych minor. We have a lovely guest today. We do. My, we do. Uh, my co-worker and very close friend, Andy, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. I want to say thank you all for just having me. Like, I truly appreciate it. Um, So to introduce myself, my name is Anibarela Rios. I'm a fourth-year psychology in Chicano Studies double major with implied psych minor as well. My partners are he, him, his, and I'm super excited just to be here with y'all. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And Katie has told me a lot about you. Um, (laughs) uh, Nothing but good things, I promise. Nothing but good things. Uh, (laughs) But to start off, I want to know kind of how you came about your major, how you came about UCSB. Like, what's up? For sure. I mean, like, it's so funny because I've been doing interviews for, like, for postgraduate jobs. And so I literally have, like, my story within, like, two minutes are concise. Love to see it. I could go on a little bit more. But, yeah, so essentially, I think that the kind of my major, right? So honestly, I think for me, I came in as a psychology major, not because it was really a passion, but just because I was so happy to take a AP psychology class while I was applying for colleges. And I was like, you know what? This sounds something cool. Uh, I don't want to do bio. I don't want to do biology. I don't do any like English and whatnot. And so I honestly just kind of decided to, to go to psychology just because it was accessible at the moment. And, uh, and kind of, when I got here, I decided to venture out and take a, a, a Chicano studies class with Professor Ralph Humberser. Honestly, like incredible man, does a lot of work in the department. And I absolutely love the uh, Chicano studies. I think for me being uh, Mexican, uh, being a, a kid from Mexican immigrants, I think that really resonated with what he was talking about. The social justice movements, the culture, the, the the expression and everything, I think that just resonated with me. And I just really loved this so much that I uh, decided to double major. And honestly, was going to minor in it, but they didn't have a minor. So it was all or nothing. And I was like, well, <laughs> like, get, get, get two degrees for the price of one, you know? And so, um, man, that's what I dubbed. And uh, I, I wanted to uh, apply psych minor just because I'm kind of more interested in not necessarily being, like, being a therapist, but just having those one-on-one conversations but more to, like, navigate mental health. And that's, I, I kind of, like, last minute added that apply psych minor and everything. Yeah, and so, uh, that's funny because for me, I, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, and unless LA isn't far from Santa Barbara, I want to say, like, it's like an hour 40 now we're uh, uh two hours with, with it's a like little bit two hours yeah yeah so it's it's not too bad and uh I would guess I actually used to come here as like a kid and kind of like throughout the years I'd come here not often but I want to say like once every like couple months twice a year and whatnot and I think that for me it just really resonated how the architecture is very much like a pueblo type of style kind of has like that Spanish architecture and everything and for me kind of like made me feel a little bit at home. And I think just like also like just the word like Santa Barbara, like you're always saying Spanish. And so I think that I really connected with that. And honestly, like when I got accepted, like I'm a first generation student and I didn't really know what to expect or even if I was going to get in. So when I got in, I was like, you know what? Like it's it's far enough that I don't have to dorm with, well, I don't have to live with my family. Uh, but it's close enough that I need to come. If I need to come back within a day, it's like totally doable. And uh, I honestly ended up coming to Santa Barbara because any other place I got 
I sent it to Davis and like all some schools like far away, but I was like, nah, that's way too far. Yeah. So it was just, like the perfect like mixture of just like back at home and like it's close enough to home, but far enough away. So definitely. No, that's I really definitely awesome. feel that. Yeah. Um, I'm from like technically Los Angeles County. I'm from Arcadia. But um well, yeah, yeah, I'm aware. Okay. Yeah, it's like it, it's more so three hours, but it's it's far enough where I'm like my parents are there. I have enough space for myself. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I get that for sure. <laughs> I'm kind of by the Hollywood area, so kind of like Universal City. Um, oh yeah. So it's a little bit closer for sure, and like you, you like right away get on the on the one to one and everything. Yeah. That's awesome. I definitely agree. Like, I think I came to college. A lot of it was location and it's distance from home. Like, I can go home in a day, but also it's far enough that my like my parents are just going to drop in. Um, I wanted to ask, Andy, I know you have a lot of different uh, roles and positions across campus and involvements. Can you give kind of like a brief little overview of what you're doing? For sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I could. Yeah, I could definitely talk about that. So kind of to give it a little more background, I met Katie because we're both raised, resident assistant and Santa Cruz residence hall. Woo, best residence hall out there. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, I'm 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 a RA for Santa Cruz. More specifically, I'm in charge of the Chicano Ladder next floor. And so what housing does in Santa Barbara, we have these things called like living learning communities that is essentially just a concentrated a part of a, of a community that is meant to house a marginalized community, right? So I, I talk about the, I'm in charge of the Chicanas Latin next floor, but there are other LLCs like the, um, uh, I think the, the Black Scholars floor, the Apita floor, Women in STEM, and all these other uh, different communities. And for me, honestly, like these positions, that like being an RA, like I always want to be an RA, especially I think that growing up as a kid, I didn't know what college was like. And my parents didn't, uh, I think the, the highest education that both of them completed was middle school. And so I didn't really know like, what college was, but I had family friends who had been in the same situation, being first generation, that had been RA, RAs, and they would kind of like explain to me like the whole gist of it. I'm like, damn, like I want to do that, and so uh, somehow, like some way, I ended up being as an RA. Like I mean, it's funny because I actually got rejected my first year, <laughs> and I was like, damn. But uh, it, I honestly, like it was just trying to um, trying to uh, expand my resume and whatnot to to get the job and kind of like the other side to that my other job is the men's engagement educator for care and this is kind of like where things get a little bit different so uh to kind of like give explain a little bit more the care office is uh um is is an office that provides private advocacy resources and prevention education on interpersonal violence so like sexual assault domestic violence whatnot my position is the men's engagement educator where i try to bring in men into the conversation on how to prevent sexual assault domestic violence on campus and i think kind of the 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 unofficial guideline, I guess, kind of more the, the unofficial job description is really trying to promote what a healthy manhood, right? It's really about deconstructing harmful narratives of masculinity and trying to engage students, well, trying to equip them with resources and skills they need to promote a healthy manhood. And we try to do that like through programming, through events, tailing and whatnot. And so those kind of like my two major jobs in there I think that I think have definitely meant the most for me, uh, especially now as my fourth year. It's definitely like the culmination of like everything I've learned and I've been able to put that to work. So that sounds so cool. Um, and no, I'm really interested. Uh, what's it called? Katie has talked about being an RA before, but I always find it interesting that like you guys have your own little communities, like per four. Sounds like that sounds really cool. Um, I've never really been in a dorm before. I'm a transfer student, so mm-hmm. I transferred this year. So I live in the undergrad apartment. So we don't really have that community necessarily. 
I guess um, it depends on where you live. But I'm always been on kind of jealous of dorm dorm life just a little bit for that reason. Maybe <laughs> Honestly, not the other things for that reason. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just different. I think like well, 30 years I've that 30 years are usually people that have been here for like two years and so like they honestly it's like i think that just that dynamic is different for sure but i was gonna say what uh what apartment are you are you part of uh like, sierra madre oh sierra so, madre far far in the universe yeah far in the <laughs> never neverland that's so funny i was just hanging out with some s uh some sierra madre uh, ras and like instead of literally going home because it's literally like a mile and a half away i just decided to stay there overnight i was like i'm not gonna go back yeah it's i guess it's nice for that reason because like we're closer to like the shops and it's not like as loud but at the same time like if you want to be a part of campus life you have to constantly commute which is kind of frustrating but i also enjoy it because it's peace and quiet and it's anyway um but yeah, so you mentioned like being an RA was kind of like a dream for you. And that's really cool. Did your expectations going in as an RA, did they like succeed your expectations? Were they different than what you expected once you became an RA? For sure. Oof, I think that honestly, I think it definitely exceeded my expectations, but also kind of changed my perspective a little bit. Right. So I think at first in terms of expectations, just that um, that community I, I felt, I think was just like, wow, like even, I know. The idea of an RA is to like help foster community, but I think well, I've been really talked about just how my residents kind of like foster that community for me, especially I think being a first year, I was the first year when COVID first happened. And so we were, we did a quarter and like a couple months until COVID happened and we just got sent home. My entire, the rest of my first year was virtual as long as the, the entirety of my, uh, of the second year. And then for my third year, I actually didn't end up going to, um, I, I ended up staying in, in a house like far away. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really have like that community. Mm-hmm. And so I think in terms of like that community sense, especially being able to like talk to students in Spanish and I talk about, relate to like those cultural experiences. I was like, wow, like, I was like, I wish I could have known this earlier. Like now that I'm about to graduate, you know, but uh, and I, it definitely uh, uh, fulfilled that for me. And I think just also being able to pass on the different, like the knowledge I have just on being a fourth year, but also like going through like, being a college student during the pandemic, right? Working through the housing crisis, all these different things that I've like uh, um, had to like go through. I think that kind of gave me just a just a w- wide array, or uh, yeah, a, a wide array, I guess, of tools and like different lessons I could have passed on to kids. And honestly, I feel like that's when I started feeling more like an adult. I'm like, damn, like I'm not a kid anymore. Like I'm a role model, I guess. So <laughs> it was definitely that. But in terms of like changing uh, my perspective, I think. I started to realize more of like that. Um, it started to change my mentality a little bit more. Instead of like viewing it more as like a kid type of friendly way, I think it started to view like, oh, like what I say and do actually does affect students. And so I think just kind of being conscientious of like what I would say and like what I would do. And I think just also being like intentional about the my actions, right? I'm really trying to send that positive role model. Um, and I think especially my floor uh, being men, I think it's kind of like trying to be that uh, uh, a good male role model that, I think embraces what it means to be a good man, but also like holding people accountable when they say problematic things, when they um, uh, sexualize people and be like, yo, like that's not okay. And just try to like offer like an alternative. And I think that's kind of like my mentality is I think it's a, uh, it's definitely forced me to mature. Like I'm definitely still doing it, but it, it definitely, it was a big change for sure. Andy is definitely a role model in this building. Everybody, <laughs> everybody knows Andy and everybody loves talking to Andy. Um, and kind of like you said, you you definitely have this way of carrying yourself that blends a lot of all the work that you do. Like even just talking about your floor, you're talking about these things that you 
implement into your job at care and like it's all embodied in one and you kind of touched on your little community and like you, the impact that you're making and one of the things they talk about when you're an RA is the fishbowl effect yeah or you're as an RA kind of in this fishbowl and everyone can look at you and sees all the actions that you're doing because realistically there's eight RAs in our building um and there's 600 plus students so it's easy for them to remember us and it's harder for us to remember every single one of them or see every single little thing that they're doing, but our impact matters. And that's something that I really appreciate you kind of like mentioning. Um, I was kind of curious working with the Latinx floor at Santa Cruz, you definitely are that role model and can kind of celebrate cultural wealth and whatnot. But do you think that that's being done across campus or is there ways that it could be done more? Kind of what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I just want to say like, oh gosh, thank you. I feel like when you're saying all of that, I was blushing. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> thank you. And oh, I think like that culture wealth, like, don't even get me started. <laughs> I feel that it, it, it kind of your, your question relates to like how if that's like if that culture wealth is seen all across campus, right? Just to clarify a little bit, for sure. I think like the, it's it's pros and cons. Like, you know, I think uh, first off, uh, like UC Santa Barbara is considered like a Hispanic serving institution and. A lot of the there's tech the, there's a technicalities with it, but essentially what that means that they get extra funding to fund resources geared towards uh, uh, brand communities, right? And because of that, we have uh, El Centro. Because of that, we have uh, Onda Center, right? And all these different systems of support. And so I feel like while we do have these like pockets of support, like not just with the university, but also like organizations, I think in terms of like cultural wealth, there's a disconnect and just how different everybody is from one another. Right. And kind of like um, to kind of really explain it, like, yes, we have a, a population of the brown community here. Right. But within that brown, there's like different shades. Right. There's like Mexicanos, like Guatemalans, Salvadorians. And even within that, there's people who were born in those Latin countries and or there's people who were who were born here in, in the U.S. And, you know, really have that cultural understanding. And so I think that a lot of what I see is is really a division uh between uh between the community i think it's kind of sad i think especially i've seen it on my floor where people have called each other pochos whereas essentially kind of like uh it's just a term to to refer to uh kind of like somebody who isn't really latino right isn't latino enough and kind of like the idea of like i think for me uh, I, I guess I, I would be considered a pocho of just somebody whose parents immigrated from Mexico and like I'm here and like, yeah, I speak Spanish, but the way I speak Spanish is not the way that they speak Spanish in, in Mexico. Right. It's so kind of like that, that that disconnect. I'm not like genuine enough. And so I feel like a lot of people kind of like see this, uh, see kind of like they create these divisions within the community. And so I feel like that's something like I definitely see on campus. Like there are still people who, who are overworking to turn that. But I think at the end of the day, it's just a cultural thing. Like this is not even not, this is not even just like UCSB. This is back at home. This is all across uh, all across the U.S. And I think that it, it really gets to ideas of like what it means to be like you know Latino, Latina, Chicano, Chicana, all these different terms. And so, um, yeah, it, honestly, it, it, the, the difference is still there. But I, I definitely see the work in trying to be more inclusive and expansive. And it's work that's ongoing forever. You know, you, you never really stop about doing that. So. Oh my gosh, you're you want my job. You want to take it? <laughs> sure, I mean, like, I'll take it. I need some extra money. <laughs> All right, Andy. I mean, I definitely agree with you. And I think it's very evident just talking to you that you have a wealth of knowledge and insight and you're very passionate about the things that you do. Um, and because of this, you recently got this really awesome opportunity to do something really cool on campus. Do you want to share with the class what that may, may have been? Yes, ma'am. I give a TED talk. 
Dot, dot. Yeah. Crazy how I gave a tech talk. I think like I want to say it's like uh, five weeks ago. So it's pretty, someone recently, someone recently. So y'all just want me to start from the beginning. Like how did this happen or? Break it down for us. Break it down. Uh, Awesome. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so, um, kind of early freshman year, I remember I was walking through uh, Anna Capo in the residence halls and I saw like a flyer that says, uh, oh, apply to be a a TEDx speaker. And they were just like to give a talk and and whatnot in the conference. And for me as a freshman, I was like, oh, snap. Like, I think this is kind of like you're observing as much as you possibly can of like what uh, college is. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, I want to do that, you know? But I think as a freshman, you're like, I just got here like a couple of weeks ago. Like, I need, I need some more time. <laughs> to me, no, I need so, I need, I need so, I need some time to to go experience a couple of things, and uh, I struggled to really um, focus my uh, a speech on something that I'm really passionate about, right? So whatever that was freshman year, COVID happened, the whole nine yards, and kind of going into my fourth year of college, I in I work for the in working for the care office, I have to do presentations. And one of them is a, a, a gaucho back, right? It's a bystander intervention program where we talk about different ways to intervene in situations and whatnot. And the point is, is that all registered orgs on UCSB have to be, have to do, have to send, I think like two or three uh, registered members to go um, to the, to this uh, workshop in order to qualify as a registered like org, right? And like, if they don't do this, they lose their funding and they lose that recognition and like, access to resources, right? So we have a lot of people coming <laughs> And so one of the one of the the workshops we had somebody from the the TEDx UCSB board, and I remember I was asking about what uh, what org they were talking, what org they were representing, and they're like, oh yeah, I I do, I'm part of the TEDx uh, board, and I was like, oh snap, like for me I hadn't thought about it in like almost four years, and I was like, yo, like y'all still do that, and he was like, yeah, and I was like, oh that's awesome, I was like, when I was just asking him about the application and everything, and this I think this is like in October. Uh, October 20, uh, 2022. And he's like, yeah, applications are due by the end of December. And I was like, all right, say less. And so I think for me, like I wanted, I wanted to apply for it, not just because I was a 14. I was like about to graduate in a couple of months, but also I think my work with masculinity, I think is really like true and personal to my heart. And I think also just the fact that like, you don't really hear work on masculinity a lot, right? I think for me growing up, I never but I never went through a program that said, okay, let's talk about what it means to be a good man, right? And talking about all these various different issues uh, of like patriarchy, toxic masculinity, machismo, and and whatnot. And so I think that I, it's not like being like like confident or like cocky, but just like saying like, yo, like this is something I think is, is somewhat relatively new. I think just having that spotlight of a TED Talk and really teach and really just like say what I've learned to like, uh, like a larger audience, I think would be really helpful. Um, and so, yeah, I just went for it and, uh, and kind of doing the, the, the application process was not, ex- not, not so much extensive, but just the fact that it was in during finals, it was like so hard to do. Like I was, I was spiritually dying. I had finals and I had to do this application. But point is I had to turn like a five minute jazz video of what, uh, the speech would look like. And, uh, oh no, I had to do application. And then after that, they asked me to send a five minute video. And after that, I found out, I think like December a couple of days before Christmas that I was given the opportunity to, to give the TED talk. And so honestly, just from the moment I came back from winter break in January, all the way till April 16th, it was just working on that TED talk. Like, I'm not gonna lie. It was like, well, it, it honestly felt like a part-time commitment. Like it, it really did. <laughs> um, and, and I think that in doing the, this TED talk, like, first of all, like I've done presentations before I've done conferences, but just, that recognition of like a TED talk, like I'm not gonna lie, like I went through the whole wheel of emotions of like anxiety, fear, 
not feeling enough. Like, I feel like I'm going to embarrass myself. I feel like I'm going to stutter. And especially only, only I, I was only given around 15 minutes of talking. So it's kind of like condensing two years of work within the crowd office within those 15 minutes was a lot too, you know? But I think also to kind of incorporate another key component to the talk, I wanted to get personal and vulnerable by my own experiences, right? I think in a lot of my programs, I, uh, we, we have a, a, a program called Breaking the Man Box, where essentially what we do is that we invite different guest speakers from different uh, departments on campus where they come to the residents and, and then talk about their experiences with a specific topic on masculinity, right? Such topics include vulnerability, asking for help and whatnot. And so we can ask them to be vulnerable. But point is, is like, I figure that I can't really ask people to be vulnerable without doing that myself, right? Like I have to kind of do that internal self-work. And so for me, I, I want to talk about like my dad. And, and I'm not going to lie. I think like between like men, it's like really hard to, to talk about these issues. But I, I really want to touch upon the machista, uh, the machista culture. He kind of like taught me, not saying that he did it intentionally, but a lot of it's unintentional, right? It's passed on from generation to generation and you don't really notice it. And so you have these conversations. And one thing that uh, my dad was, was doing that was harmful, that he was an alcoholic, right? And so I think for me, and I was like, if I'm going to talk, talk about how to promote a healthy manhood, like I got to I got to do that within my dad. You know, like I got to put words. I got I can't. It's not just about saying to do like, I'm not, it's not. It's not just asking people to do it, but just doing it for myself. And so it wasn't only just developing that speech and con condensing two years of working within those that time frame, but it was also like just breaking down those barriers within within my dad and really trying to like talking about traumatic experiences and like going through that to like put it on the speech. And it was like difficult stuff. Like I've never talked to him about like those experiences. So I think that my, and, and, and being forced to do that within a, a span of six months, like it was a lot. There's a lot of like emotional work of just like, I remember just, just talking, uh, uh, talking to myself. I wanted to talk about a specific instance where my dad made me like, where my dad, where my dad's actions was, was affecting my family. And I was like, well, like, what well, was an example, right? What was an example? And I was talking about, oh, and for me, I was thinking about like the times he wouldn't pick me up from school, all those very like external, not really like deep things. But then kind of like working with myself, I was like, oh, wait, like, I remember a time where my dad said to my mom, like, oh, like, you're nothing without me because I pay for everything. Right. And I was like, oh, and I feel just like though that continuous process and just realizing small moments, I never noticed it affected me, but just. Stopping to like think about it, like I think it was really just that transformation that uh, I, I really saw within me, and I think that just being able to have clarity on it and coherence, to be able to put that down into into the speech was was everything. Um, and the thing ultimately at the end, it, it was definitely hard. Like I can't I, I cannot emphasize the, the amount of times I had like I like I, I don't know if you would describe it as panic attacks or anxiety attacks, but my heart would like, be faster, and I was like, oh lord, like I could like literally feel like my heart just like clenching and just that. Uh, it, it, it was a very physical experience I've never experienced before. And so I think just that, um, that I really felt that burning. But at the end, at the end of the day, I uh, really try to lean on the different people in my life. Like, I think I, the amount of support I had was just like incredible. And I think that really without like all these people, I wouldn't have been able to do this. I, I talked with my supervisor, both of my supervisors from the RA job and the care job. I talked to Joaquin Peguera, who has a whole, he's, the, he's in charge of student conduct here on campus. And he has a whole master's on uh on the masculinity i talked with um the masculinities project we're essentially just a group of students and staff and faculty that is geared towards this type of masculinity work that i i work with and they talked about 
and and most of these the most of the people in the group are like full grown adults and it talked about how they wish they could have talked to their dads right before they passed away and so them just kind of talking about the experiences it really helped me out and honestly like once i had the speech down like i'm not gonna lie i did it so last minute like super like literally when they they, they told me a deadline i was like you like well what did they say i think I want to say it was at the end of May, right? They're like, okay, past this day, you cannot change anything on your TED Talk. And I literally kept changing things until probably the day before the TED Talk. Like, that's how much of a work in progress it always was. Because whenever we say, whenever, like, I go through and practice it, I'm like, wait, you know what? I can say this to be more inclusive, right? Or I always, I was thinking to myself, oh, I can talk about this story, you know? And so, and I'm not going to lie, I probably stressed out my, my liaison so badly, <laughs> Because we, uh, we were all assigned liaisons from the board to, like, make sure, uh, to keep us in check, making sure we're all, we're doing the work and everything. And I'm not going to, I probably stressed Evelyn now, so I'm sorry about that, Evelyn. But, um, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, I, I would really compare myself to all these other TED Talks I've seen before. I don't know if y'all know Justin Baldoni. He does a, a work with masculinity. He's an actor. Um, he gave a TED Talk. I would look into Tony Porter who was a CEO of a call of man. He also gave a TED talk. And I think just compare myself to all these big names that had like millions of views on their videos. It was a lot on me. But I think that this experience taught me that like, you kind of have to emphasize the, the process and not the outcome, right? You kind of had to de detach yourself from the views, from the praise that you get, but really emphasize on like the, the, the personal growth you went through it, you know? And uh, at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna show up as myself. Mistakes and all, I'm, I try to be as most inclusive, inclusive as I possibly could. I try to be as honest and transparent about my struggles and my traumatic experiences with my dad. And and April 16th, I just gave it all out. And the rest is history, you know? And I, I know that was kind of like a lot of information, but it really, well, that it really was so good. Thing, I think, yeah. No, I really felt that, um, especially when you talked about like your anxieties prior to like giving that talk. I, um, prior to coming to UCSB, I was a part of a scholarship program uh, for young women for my high school and then early college. And I had to give talks in front of hundreds of people multiple times a week. And those were all works in progress. Don't get me wrong. I did not know what I was going to say half the time because I'll make a speech and not go by it. I will it, literally. And so I really felt that like your passion and your experiences up to that point get you to that speech. and. You don't really need to worry about whether you stutter, whether you're nervous, whether you're anxious, because you know what you're talking about and you're passionate about it. And I could definitely tell that that TED Talk probably sounds amazing and I'm going to try to find it and I'm going to watch it. So, <laughs> well, uh, to kind of like back what you said, I think that's I think that's like really the truth. Right. Um, and I think that. It doesn't even matter that, that you have experienced public speaking, but if you don't believe in yourself, you don't have that confidence. It's kind of like, and I go to, to waste, really. And I think that um, just the whole six months was just gathering that confidence to, like, give, to perform that speech, for, like, the best I possibly could in those 15 minutes. Um, and I think what you just said really is the epitome of that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. And speaking of advice, um, the we have a little question here. And I, I'm curious um, what you're going to say, but um, do you have any advice for incoming freshmen to UCSB? Oof, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it's funny because I think that like being a uh, being a freshman in COVID, like I had so many regrets. I was like, damn, like I should have gone out more, you know, or like, damn, like maybe I should have talked with these people more because I think looking back at it when COVID happened, there, there were people I didn't see until the beginning of my third year, right? And so I think those regrets kind of like, 
I mean, these lessons that if I was like to incoming freshman, I think my first advice would be to just like, it's learning how to, learning to be okay with not being okay, right? With being comfortable, yes. not comfortable. I think a lot of people portray like college as the best years of your life. And like, I think there's a certain, there's a certain element to that. That is so much, I think just being young, having so much possibility in your life. It's not the same when you're like a, an adult, have kids, have family, whatnot. But there's, I think there's a little element, but I think people don't really pay how hard college is, right? I think just the, the, um, the, the how competitive it is. I even to get in the first place, how hard you have to work in high school. And even when you get here, like all these various different systemic barriers are coming at you, right? And not even just about being a student, but in being a Latino man, right? And being a Latina and being a woman and identifying as queer and all these different marginalized communities. Like it's, it's really understanding like these communities, like, like this system, like it, it ain't built for you, you know? Like it really is, like it really isn't. And, and I think that um, it's, it's understanding that like being uncomfortable during situations is not a bad thing. It, it's, I think for me, I've, I've and if, it, if there's anything I've learned in four years, it's that that uncomfortableness is a sign of your growing, right? It's a sign of you developing. It's, it's you going to be becoming the person that you want to be. And so my advice is just like embrace that struggle, you know, like to be like, yeah, like, you know what? This sucks. Like I didn't get the job. I feel my midterm and whatnot. But to really try to see that there is no, there is no success without failure, right? And to really try to see failures as, oppor as opportunities to learn and see like what you could do better the next time. So I feel like that's definitely a, a, a big piece of advice. And I think that that's just applicable to life. Like real, <laughs> whenever I feel, whenever I experience imposter syndrome, like I'm not gonna lie, I, I experience imposter syndrome like 24 seven, like 35, 60, uh, like 365 days of the week. So um, <laughs> just, just, just understanding that like um, there, there aren't good times or that bad times and really trying to see that and, and really trying to see life for what it is, you know? And so I'm, that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of all I had to say for that piece of advice. But my second one is to just like enjoy some. Uh, my second advice would just be to not let your mind stop you from trying different things. I think that a lot of people don't really feel comfortable of like, oh, like you know what, like, like I like. There's so many different opportunities on campus, and a lot of students be like, nah, you know what, like I don't want to do that because I'm scared, right? But like this is literally the time to like mess up and like try different things. So like. Being able to like study abroad, right? Um, but just yeah, like not limiting yourself. I think that's uh, that it, it really makes me sad. I think that when I say people beating themselves down, um, and not giving themselves an opportunity to enjoy, and I think that in college, like there's so many different opportunities, not just like academically, professionally, but it's also just like fun. Like being in Santa Barbara, right by the beach. Like y'all don't see my view, but I'm literally in my dorm room, and like I can literally see the beach. Like I pro like literally probably like three minutes of walking, my feet is already touching. <laughs> Like, that's how close I am to the beach. And so it's not to say, like, oh, like, I got all these different things, but, like, just to really enjoy, like, all that uh, college offers, you know? And so that's definitely two big pieces of advice. Such good advice. I wish I had that advice. <laughs> <laughs> I wish this going to say, Marissa, I wish I had heard that my freshman year. I mean, I was... Literally. <laughs> maybe, but still, I wish I still had heard that. Anyways, Andy, I am going to be and am and always will be your number one supporter. And I just, like, love well, having these conversations. Thanks, man. And feel so lucky to have you in my life and talk to you. We don't talk about all of this often enough, I don't think, but um, I'm really happy you came. But what's what's the future look like for for Andy? For sure, no. um, my future, man. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like 
right now I'm, I've applied to like three different jobs and I know three different jobs doesn't sound like a lot, but just like, oh my Lord, like doing like the five interviews and then like doing uh, resumes and cover letters and tailoring them to each position has been so much. And so my idea was to, to well, to kind of look, I want to look at the bigger picture. My bigger picture is being able to dedicate my life and my career to really trying to provide equal opportunities for marginalized students in higher education, right? Obviously, that could change. I'm 21. Like, my life is not, <laughs> it's far from, from being over, hopefully. But uh, I really want to obtain that goal, right? I think for me, firstly, like, all my life, I was just social, I was, like, conditions to view education as a way to overcome those generational and systemic barriers. And so, like, for me, like, just being able to benefit from, like, my parents being from Mexico, right? So many different mentors in my life that got me here. Those social justice movements that got me here, like the support, like literally from Katie, like, bro, like, I, do, I literally love you, man, like 100%. <laughs> Not, and then things just like that support from RAs as well and like from everybody, like, and, and all the different things I've been able to do with support. Like, I want to be able to do the same for others, right? And so um, I, that's my lifelong goal. And in terms of how I'm going to achieve that, I've applied to, to different positions on UCLA and UCSB. And so I'm from LA, and so we'll see which one excites me, which one doesn't. But the idea is to continue working in housing. Oh snap! As a resident, uh, assistant resident director. So that's essentially kind of like the supervisor position above the RA role. And uh, I think that, um, and in type in housing, you really get to be able to program. You get to be able to, to advise students like one on one. You be be able to uh, like have that social aspect of community and really engaging with college students. And I think that just Working in housing really encompasses all of that, and so but right now, hopefully, I'm able to to get a job in that. But in on the in, in the long terms, I hope to get a master's in higher education. Um, seeing what I can learn from uh, from the ARD position, seeing and even if I don't get that position, seeing like what other opportunities uh, offer me, and seeing like what I can learn from that. And hopefully, I think just really dedicate myself to students. I think uh, it's funny because house right here uh, UCSB's residential life their core value is human connections, right? And it sounds like so cheesy. It literally sounds like any typical restaurant where it says like, we're like the family here. Like it literally, it literally gives us <laughs> a lot. But that being said, like be like living with like the 76 students that I have, like it really is like students are at the heart of this work. And I think just being able to interact with them and like learn the different perspectives and really try to be a positive role model for them. Like it's honestly like the best thing in the world. And I know I kind of lived this earlier before, but as much as RAs are needed to to build community, like those residents build community for me, you know, it's it, 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 for me, it very much is like a two way street. And so I really want to be able to work with students, even if it's not in housing and whatever. And so uh, honestly, like we'll see where the wind takes me. Like, uh, <laughs> I think it's 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 very much unknown. But uh, um, ask me like at the end of the year, I'll let you know what happens. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, that sounds awesome, and I wish you nothing but the best, Andy. I can't wait to see what you do in life. Um, and I thank you for being on the podcast. We truly appreciate it. Um, and for those who are listening who would like to be on the podcast, um, I recently got offered my job for a second year, so I will be continuing the podcast for a second yeah. season. Congratulations. Um, thank you. so <laughs> Yeah. So um, we're going to be doing a mini summer series and then I'm going to be doing a season two during the year. So if you guys are interested in being on the podcast, please follow us on Instagram at UCSB underscore students for more information. And I will post that soon. Again, thank you, Andy, for uh, coming on the pod. We appreciate it. Thank you, thank you both so much.
Yeah, I thank you, Andy, of course. Yeah, I just want to say that y'all are amazing. I've never been a podcast <laughs> before. Like, I feel this is when I that this is when I know I've made it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm with like, mom, you ain't got to worry about money no more. I was on I was on Katie's and Marissa's podcast. Like, <laughs> we'll be yes, the first exactly. money, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. Anyway, we hope to see you in the next episode. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>